Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The beautiful thing about sports. You can see somebody come up to the moment. Think about all that's Make up for it. You can see a team come together. You can see the epic happen. It's Caught by Boston College. And when it happens live, Touchdown! even if it was scripted pregame, you would have said, nah, that couldn't happen. That's what I love about sports. Who's ready for football after that? Day two of Big 12 Media Days underway. And talk about the elephant in the room, Texas and Oklahoma, both on the docket today. Both teams, however, somewhat lame ducks since they will soon head to the SEC. But right now, uh, they're, of course, members of the Big 12. It is day two for us here at College Football Live. I'm Wendy Nix. Happy to have you with us. And we start with what to expect in Austin, Texas this season. Over on 40 acres, Texas enters year two under Steve Sarkeesian, last season five and seven, their fifth losing season since 2010. Now they try to snap a 12-year drought without a conference title. That is their longest in school history. Star running back Bijan Robinson returns, currently tied for the best odds to win the Heisman, considering non-quarterbacks. Last season, averaging over 142 yards from scrimmage, led the Big 12 prior to suffering an elbow injury. Texas high school legend and Ohio State transfer Quinn Ewers will join the offensive fray, the number one quarterback in the 2022 ESPN 300 before reclassifying to 2021 and signing with Ohio State. He'll try to fend off Hudson Card. Here's the head coach. I think for us, you know, having come from the SEC, I had an idea of a, of a style of play that I wanted to play regardless of the conference that we were going to be in. And that was a big physical front on both sides of the ball um, with speed on the perimeter. So we had already started to develop our roster and build our roster that way. Um, so regardless of playing this year in the Big 12 or next year in the Big 12 or whatever this is going to look like, our style of play, our roster that we have in place is one that regardless of who we play is going to be one that fits us in what we want to do. Um, and I think that we're, we're moving in that direction to make that happen. Um, so it's not as challenging for me because I don't think that we're trying to shift one way and go to another. This is just our belief of who we want to be as a team. And I think we saw it some in recruiting last year. We recruited, you know, signed seven offensive linemen, eight defensive linemen, so 15 linemen. Uh, of the 35 guys that joined our team. So uh, there's an idea of, yes, that's the direction we want to go in. And then to use one kid in an example, we signed a receiver from Spearman, Texas, Brendan Thompson, who runs a, ran a 10-200 meters. There's the speed on the perimeter. So regardless of who we're playing or where we're playing, there's a brand of football that we want to adhere to. I've always been intrigued by Coach Patterson from afar. I've always admired his defensive mind. I've always admired the style of play in which his teams played. I've always admired 
um, his ability to recruit and to project players to different positions in the recruiting process. And so to get him on board, um, which was not easy, you know, I kept kind of swinging on him to, to get him to come down to Austin, uh, has been fantastic. And the one thing that I've learned more about Coach Patterson than any is the person that he is. He's got great rapport with the other coaches on staff, uh, with the other staff members, with our players. And then the biggest thing for me is him being a sounding board for our defensive staff, him being a sounding board for Coach Kwiatkowski uh, throughout spring ball as we're game planning for our, for our early game opponents of just different ways to play things, you know, adjustments that may need to be made based on if, if something could occur. He's a very forward thinker. And um, like I said, he, he's been a joy to, to have on staff and, and looking forward to just being around him, you know, for the next six, seven months as this season unfolds. We've got you covered on the ground in Arlington. Andre Ware, Sam Macho join us now. And Andre, uh, listen, we talked so much last year at this time. What will we see from Steve Sarkeesian in his first season in Austin? Now I'll ask a second question. What do you expect in year two under Steve Sarkeesian? Yeah, I expect nine, maybe ten wins from uh, from the Texas Longhorns under Coach Sarkeesian in his second year. And why? Because I think they're going to be they're going to have tremendous depth on in the trenches on both sides of the ball. The offensive line it's going to be young, but they're going to be deep there. And then secondly, the the defensive line where la the latter part of last season injuries started to take toll. They started to get pushed around a little bit because of the lack of depth. And then you bring in Gary Patterson, a guy, a coach that is used to taking safeties and adding speed by making them linebackers, linebackers and making them edge rushers. So Texas will have a look of a lot faster def defense uh, in 2022. Yeah, and offensively, Texas last year was explosive, right? They were five and seven, so you can't uh, overlook that six losses in a row. But offensively, there was no, not too many issues. The issue was on defense. And mm -hmm. so that was one of the worst defenses in college football, I believe ranked 118th out of 130 in certain categories. And so having Gary Patterson come in, not as a coach, but as a sounding board for Pete Kwiatkowski is going to be huge for that Texas defense. All right, Sam, and to that end, let's look at what we saw from that Texas defense last season. Because if they're going to take the next step, it will certainly have to get in gear. The Horns allowed over 31 points a game last season at six yards per play. And Texas allowed a score on 42% of its opponent's drives and that ranked 106th in the FBS a year ago. Again, he's not the D coordinator, not technically even a coach, but Gary Patterson joining that staff technically as a special assistant. Sam, you say he'll be a sounding board and he'll make a difference, but what in actuality does he bring? How can he help specifically get that defense back on track or where it really wants to go and needs to go? He brings a vision. You know, Gary Patterson has been calling plays and designing defenses for almost 30 years. This is going to be the first year in almost 30 years that he hasn't been calling the plays. And so he does bring that vision. He also brings a backup plan. So if the defense starts to struggle and Pete Kwiatkowski starts to struggle, you do have a backup plan. I don't think that Steve Sarkeesian wants to go out having a top-powered offense and a struggling defense again. And so when you have a guy like Gary Patterson, who historically has built dominating defenses who are in their gaps, making plays, aggressive, attacking, that's what you need. And so if Kelsey can't 
fit the bill. You know, Patterson can do the rest. Yeah, he certainly can. And what, what you have as well as you mentioned the word sounding board from a from a guy that has done it from an experience standpoint. How did you defend against Iowa State? How did you stop Baylor from doing X, Y and Z? So that goes into game planning and it gets you prepared for every each and every Saturday. Andre, I'm going to go right back to you because, you know, I went out on a I'm going to say it's a slightly unsturdy <laughs> limb yesterday when I said I thought Texas would have a, a banner year and we'd see some marked improvement. And you made the very valid point that they'd have to figure out what to do with all these quarterbacks. So, uh, in fairness, I'm going to give you a chance to a answer the question. Uh, how do you think this QB battle, if you will, shakes out? Well, I've heard some good things about all the quarterbacks, but I'll, I'll be direct. I've heard Hart, Hudson Card has had an outstanding spring, and he's doing some phenomenal things. But Sam and I were sitting here talking about it before we came on the air, that I think just, just Quinn Ewers is the kind of intriguing uh, player at that spot because he's so highly recruited, coming in from Ohio State. Everybody in terms of the a fan base at Texas wants to see him play, and I think he will get the, the keys to the car first and drive the Texas offense now whether or not he can hold on to it if he plays well obviously he will sit in that seat and drive the car for the season but if he doesn't Hudson card is in is sitting there waiting to put his hands on the steering wheel Sam I, I gotta tell you you can't talk about Texas in the offseason without a, a certain we talked about elephant in the room at the top of the show and in this case with Texas a, a certain recruit who's verbally committed uh, got a pretty famous last name uh, how, how does Arch Manning change things for the Texas program? In recruiting, Arch Manning obviously isn't is still in high school now. He doesn't come until next year. But when other recruits heard the last name Manning and the first name Arch commit to Texas, they started signing as well. So we've seen a plethora of five-star recruits commit to Texas since Arch Manning committed. Within the first week since he committed, there were six or seven, four, five-star recruits that came in. And so that's part one. Part two is he brings a semblance of stability to the quarterback room. You see the talent, the nephew of Eli and Peyton Manning. So you know that's there. Now there's a stability. Quinn, Quinn Ewers is here. Hudson Card can compete. But a lot of people understand that this is going to be Arch Manning's team when he gets on campus and moving forward. Yeah, he is a guy that, that certainly moves the needle in terms of recruiting, as you mentioned. It was an enormous amount of, of guys committing to Texas after he announced his commitment. But, you know, what, what he does is is really makes it intriguing for years to come. I mean, is Ewers still the quarterback and he learns from him for a couple of years? Or is that a quarterback competition that opens itself up the minute he hits campus? And uh, I think, you know, you look at it, how did he end up in Texas? He should have played. In the, in the SEC, along with you know his, his uncle and then his dad, you know his, his two yeah. uncles, yeah. he is going to be in the SEC, maybe <laughs> just a year removed. So uh, that that lineage still holds true for the for the Manning family. Yeah, guess what? Not to worry. SEC, here he comes, uh, and it is fascinating to see how that name really does make such a difference in terms of kids who are planning their futures. And by the way, no matter what happens, no matter who is calling the shots at quarterback for Texas, they got to get better in the clutch. Last in the FBS last year in third and fourth down conversion. So they're going to need to see some improvement in that regard as well. Texas headed to the SEC. So too is Oklahoma coming up. We'll take a deep dive into the season ahead for Oklahoma. Brent Venables prepping for his first year as the head coach in Norman. We'll look ahead and see what we expect. And the new Big 12 commissioner. Well, he doesn't officially start on the job until August 1st. But nevertheless, 
Mike Gundy offering some early advice with regards to Texas and Oklahoma, who again will eventually head to the SEC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We turn now our attention to Oklahoma. A number of developments had ripple effects from one coast to the other, and it started with head coach Lincoln Riley, who stunned college football last November, left the Sooners to take the head job at USC. He led OU to three college football playoff appearances behind a high-powered offense. So Oklahoma turned to a familiar figure, Clemson D.C. Brent Venables. He returns to Norman after helping Dabo Sweeney turn Clemson into a perennial power. OU began the 2021 season with two blue-chip QBs. They've moved on. Caleb Williams went to USC. Spencer Rattler joined Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Dylan Gabriel runs the show. As y'all know, I'm the new head coach at Oklahoma, and uh, but I'm not new to Oklahoma. Uh, you know, this will be my 14th year uh, at the university, certainly a different capacity, and uh, but I couldn't be more thrilled and excited about the opportunity um, that I have in front of me. This place um, has a standard of excellence that um, takes a backseat to nobody. And I talk about, be about it, quit talking about it. I want guys that are gonna be about it. I'm looking for doers, not takers. And these guys here today represent uh, a great locker room uh, of a bunch of great leaders. Just like you would expect, the fire hose is fully inserted uh, in my mouth here. And uh, we've been blowing and going. And so uh, I'm really excited to get back with the team now. Um, as summer's coming to a close and we're getting ready to stall, start, uh, start up fall camp here uh, August 4th. All right, then, what's in store for Brent Venables? He needs to fix that defense, which allowed over 260 pass yards per game last year and ranked Oklahoma near the bottom of the FBS. Dylan Gabriel transfers in from UCF. He appears to be the front runner at quarterback. And of course, Gabriel, one of many transfers on their way to Norman. OU signed nine alone in February and have since added more. And Andre, as we go back out to Arlington, I really like how he started that. I'm a new head coach, but I'm not new to Norman. And that's, that's really the case as he returns. Uh, but a lot of moving parts, a lot of new faces for Oklahoma. What do you expect we see out of Norman this season? Yeah, talent out the door and more talent coming in. But the expectations are for Oklahoma to win this conference. I mean, they've got they've won won it 14 times. They're looking to get back on top and uh, and unseat conference champion Baylor. Uh, that's the expectation if you're an OU fan, and it's every single year who can come in and who who can do that. Uh, <clears throat> Coach Venables, he's obviously familiar with the university he knows what those expectations are and he's got a, a ton of talent that's come in to try to help him do exactly that look at the university of oklahoma the expectations are to win championships and that's not changing even though this will be the first time coach venables has been the head coach look he has brought in a level of uh, discipline accountability physicality uh, Jerry Schmidt, the strength conditioning coach that was there for a long time under Bob Stoops' tenure, came back from Texas A&M, 
with Brent Venables. There's a different vibe and a different feel around that program. And I can assure you this, nobody within those walls or outside those walls have anything less than a Big 12 championship expectation. Well, it makes sense. So the defense appears to be in pretty good hands. And now on the offensive side of the ball, as we talked about, you have Dylan Gabriel coming in. You have Marvin Mills returning. Sam Acho caught up with both players. So I'm here with Dylan Gabriel, Marvin Mims, Oklahoma. Uh, I'm gonna start with some basketball questions first. So Marvin, you, you're from Frisco. We're in we're in Dallas right now. Used to hoop. Um, who would win one on one between the two of y'all? I'd probably say I would. Yeah. I mean, Dylan's Dylan's dad's a basketball coach back in Hawaii, so he might have some skills I don't know about. But so your dad's a basketball coach, yeah. but you're playing football. What happened? A lot of things happened. <laughs> but uh, no, me and uh, Marvin played uh, a little while ago and. Yeah, I, I can't dunk and this guy can, so. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's, that's yeah. about it. Um, football real quick. So, so obviously UCF set records. Why Oklahoma? Just really believed in, you know, Coach Venables, Coach uh, Levy, and obviously knew what, you know, Oklahoma has to offer. And, I mean, for me it was a no-brainer. Yeah. So, you know, right when I got the call, I, I knew what was up. Yeah. And, Marvin, obviously your, your former quarterback is gone. There's a new quarterback who's here. Dylan's here. Tell me about y'all's relationship and how do you go about building a stronger relationship with a new quarterback? Yeah, um, it definitely started off the field. You know, us hanging out, us talking on the phone whenever he first committed to OU and I was still at home. But um, we've hung out a lot. We spent a lot of time together, not just us two, but the whole unit, both groups. And, um, you know, just building on that consistent relationship until the season comes up is going to help a lot when that time comes. And then last one for me, what does success look like for you two, both on and off the field? What would on the field success look like? And then what would off the field success look like? I could start with start with you. I think, you know, for me, as I look at it, is representing our, you know, university with class, respect, confidence, but but also humility. So the combination of all that on and off the field, truly, I, I believe, is how we want to re represent it. Yeah. Marvin, what about you? On the field success, but also off the field success. I feel like on the field is just getting our team to their, our fullest capability and what we can do on the field. And then off the field is just building that relationship with each other. I mean, the more we want to play for each other, the better we'll be on the field. So. Well, Dylan Gabriel has big shoes to fill, but Mims can certainly help him do that. Dusty, uh, what do you see from this offense? I got to tell you, watching them there, it almost seems like they have some chemistry already. I know it's a different thing when you get between the lines, but it looks like they're off to a solid start. You're exactly right, Wendy. And look, I give Dylan Gabriel a lot of credit. From day one, he's been all about team building type of things. They just went to a lake in, in eastern Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago just so that they can continue to, you know, to build that bond and grow together. But what I really love is Jeff Levy. I think he's one of the best offensive coordinators in college football. It was a huge piece for Brent Venables to go get him, you know, from Ole Miss. He had a ton of success at UCF. And the continuity between Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy, that's who recruited him and got him to go from Hawaii to Orlando. So he's going to be able to walk into this offense. It's going to be seamless. He's already like a coach on the field to get everybody else up to speed with this offense. And that's what it'll be is up-tempo, fast-paced. The three years Levy's been in the OC at his respective places has not been outside the top six. That's going to continue. They're going to run the football with Eric Gray, a veteran offensive line with a couple of key transfers. And then you mentioned Marvin Mims. I think Braden Willis, another guy primed and ready to have a big year. I do anticipate Dylan Gabriel is going to take Big 12 defenses by storms with the pace in which they play and also his deep ball touch and accuracy. I think it's going to pay huge dividends for this offense in year number one. I think it's going to be fun to watch. And it, you know what, guys? It's so easy to talk about the talent that left, but 
How about this? 70 pass touchdowns over the last three seasons, the third most by an FBS quarterback over that span. So Dylan Gabriel, to your point, Dusty, can certainly step in and get the job done, and he may have the element of surprise, if you will, on his side a little bit coming into Oklahoma. There are also some early non-conference games for some Big 12 teams. They could give us a glimpse into who's who in this conference coming up. We'll tell you when and where those games are and certainly what they may mean. And the Big 12 has produced some big names in the past, leaving some big shoes to fill. Coming up, we look at the best of the best in the Big 12 of the future. We'll tell you what we think straight ahead. Well, a lot like the Big 12 right now, but that won't be the case for long. For starters, Texas and Oklahoma headed to the SEC initially in 2025, but now rumored to be efforting an earlier exit. Senior college football writer Heather Denich joins us now, and that's certainly been up for discussion. Heather, what are the odds that these two teams leave before that 2025 season? Well, incoming Commissioner Brett Yormark told reporters that he is open to negotiations. He said that when it comes to that, the best thing he wants to do is to be in the best interest of the Big 12. And so we'll see where that stands. But look, they have to pay an $80 million per school exit fee if they leave early. And the official word from the SEC and the Big 12 is that that's going to happen on July 1st, 2025. If it does happen early, 2024 seems to be the most realistic timeline because of the TV contracts that are currently in place. There's some serious legal unraveling that would have to happen in order for that to happen. Heather, thank you. Uh, Andre, we'll go back out to you. That, that's a price tag for you. I mean, if I do say so myself, uh, and, and certainly that's uh, not to say for all the legal maneuvering that would have to be done. Uh, do you think these teams stay put until they're supposed to go? I don't. And uh, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with old relationships, Houston, Texas, back in the last year of the Southwest Conference, Texas vowed to never play Houston again because there was a game on campus. They wanted to move it to the Astrodome. That's how long it's been, to the Astrodome, and, and play it out there. And Houston wouldn't do it. They kept the game on campus. Uh, Texas vowed to never play Houston again. And I just cannot see, for the life of me, these two teams existing in a conference together for the next two years. I, I, I really don't. I think, you know, that price tag is heavy. But I think it's going to come down to where Texas and both OU leave early, as early as maybe after this season for the SEC. And I, I, didn't, I didn't think they would leave early until yesterday. Hearing from the new Big 12 commissioner, uh, Mr. Yormark, you heard him say, hey, we want to have a win-win for both parties, meaning Texas and OU and also the Big 12. I found that statement interesting. Now, while I disagree with Andre as far as the Houston and Texas rivalry, I think sometimes those are old things. You put them in the past. I think that the fact that there's a new Big 12 commissioner who understands not only finances, but also understands the fact that there's a changing landscape landscape, he may not be as opposed as maybe Bob Bowlesby was, the old commissioner, to letting OU and Texas leave the Big 12 a year or so early. Sam, I, I could not agree with you more. I thought the rhetoric was distinctly different from your mark. And to your point, he got this job. He's got a slightly unconventional resume for a commissioner, but he's there because he understands how these bottom lines work. And he's done that throughout his career. Not to mention, guys, this is sort of like going to a party I think you weren't invited to. I mean, it is a awkward situation <laughs> that these two teams are there and still participating, but you know they're leaving. 
Here's what Mike Gundy said. It's interesting. We go to conference meetings and OU and Texas are in there. They're still in the conference, but I'm guessing when they leave, they're scratching down things that can help them when they're in the SEC, and that's an unusual situation. So, look, they're there, but they're leaving. I think there's a business side nowadays when people say it is what it is, which 10 years ago, they might not even let them in meetings. My apologies. We see the, the second part of his quote. Uh, guys, listen, I mean, there's something to be said. I, I don't know how much is really transferable, how much intellectual property there is. But it is an awkward situation to have them in these meetings when you know they're going. Do you agree? Well, I, I do. I actually do agree with what Mike Gundy said, and here's why. Mike Gundy is standing in the position of a team that's currently in the Big 12 and that is supposed to be in the Big 12 for the foreseeable future. And so when you hear the commissioner yesterday say, I'm trying to do what's best for both the Big 12 and Texas and OU, which are going to leave the Big 12, to me that says, okay, Texas and OU have been talking to this new commissioner, and they're not going to be in the Big 12 at at least in two years, maybe sooner. And so why are we looking out for their best interests? We need to look out for ourselves just like they did. And so in a lot of ways, I agree with Mike Gundy, not because of the intellectual property piece. I agree with him on the piece of, hey, they looked out for them. Let's now let's start looking out for ourselves. I think a lot of coaches, Sam, uh, feel the way Coach Gundy does and, and just hadn't been, <laughs> been as forthcoming yes. as he has. But I think a lot of them feel that way, that, you know, Texas is here. It's the elephant in the room along with Oklahoma. Both are going to leave. Uh, you know, it's just an uncomfortable situation for everybody or all programs involved. And I think the best thing at some point in time, and when that time arrives, is to allow Texas and OU to to go ahead and ease their way out and into the SEC, maybe sooner rather than later, which is why I stand by it. I do not think these two teams after 2022 will be in this conference where it's 14 teams. It'll be back to 12, but it will be because Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF have also entered, entered into the conference. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think both of you make very valid points. We'll go back to Heather Dinich and Heather Look, I, I think it's likely, like Andre said, that a lot of coaches feel the way Mike Gundy does. Not that that is the defining factor here on who goes where when, but I do feel like he makes uh, somewhat of a point. It's just a tough situation. Well, I want to make something clear. When I was in Scottsdale, Arizona for the spring meetings, and uh, Chris Del Conte and Joe Castiglione, their athletic directors, were in those meetings, Castiglione also told me that when it came time to talk about the future of the Big 12, they politely left. And there was no animosity, but when the discussion turned to what the Big 12 looks like without them, they left the room. And so I'm not sure when or how that happens in the logistics of all of these meetings, but I can tell you that at spring meetings, I was told that that's how it operated. So. Uh Take Gundy's words for what it's worth, right? But there's also a little bit more to it. Yeah, you know what? Funny you say that. How about this as we, uh, as we look ahead? They, he might be okay for this reason. Texas and OU have combined to win 17 Big 12 titles in the league's 26-year history. Gundy, of course, has yet to do that. So I'm not saying that they're related, but I can understand why he might be okay with an earlier departure. Heather, thank you. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you uh, next week as well. Uh, let's talk non-conference games with Big 12 teams. West Virginia visits Pitt. This is week one, a renewal of the backyard brawl. West Virginia has won three straight and five of seven in this series. Then how about week two, a huge matchup between future SEC rivals, Alabama on the road in Austin. The first time these two have met since the 2010 
BCS national title game. Where has the time gone? My heavens. And speaking of future conference matchups, we get another one that same week. Baylor heads to take on BYU. These same two schools met last season. Baylor ran away with the 38-24 win. Also week two, these are some early season games. Iowa State pays a visit to its rivals from Iowa City. The Hawkeyes have won six straight in this series. Matt Campbell's Cyclones have been outscored by a 144 to 81 margin in five games against Iowa. And then week three, what's old is new again. Oklahoma visits Nebraska, a meeting of former Big 8 and Big 12 rivals. The Sooners have won six of their last seven, and that includes a win last season in Norman. Fellas, there is a lot to look forward to in the early going in this season. I mean, I, for one, can't wait for Alabama-Texas. Uh, but I'll ask you, Andre, which uh, non-conference early season game intrigues you? As none of that you talked about there in that in that footage, it's Kansas and Houston, an early peek into what the Big 12 will look like yes. in years to come. So that was a home and home, and then all of a sudden things got scrambled around, and then now it's just Houston's going to take on Kansas starting this season in week two. I think that's one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm to. excited about the Baylor at BYU. I understand they played last year, but Baylor is now the favorite in the Big 12. BYU's been a consistently good team. We all know if you want to be great, you have to be consistently good even longer. And so Baylor going to BYU early in the season to me will be a great litmus test of is Baylor, st are they still the champs or are they, is someone else going to take over as the champs? of the Big 12. It's funny you use that phrase, Sam, because litmus test is what comes to mind when you look at their non-conference games, and, and that says something. But we'll know a lot more after week two and three uh, from these teams and where this conference may sta uh, sta shake out. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, also looking forward to uh, what you have in store for us, the perfect player in the Big 12. Is that such a thing? Well, Sam will break down the qualities he would borrow from our current stars to craft the ultimate Big 12 fighting machine, if you will. Welcome back to College Football Live. Day two of Big 12 Media Days in Arlington, Texas. Sam and Andre, uh, or Dusty, excuse me. You guys switching in and out down there, keeping me on my toes. Uh, listen, we got you covered. That's the good news. Sam, all right, now I know this is something you love to do, but I, I need you to give me the perfect Big 12 player, all right? You're going to tell me what kind of player uh, performs best. Give me who, what you got to be good at, the skill set, if you will. Definitely. Well, people sometimes forget that the Big 12 has been consistently uh, producing talented players, not only in college, but in the NFL. So we're going to talk a little bit about what would be the ideal Big 12 player. And I'm going to start when it comes to a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, you went to Texas Tech. If you could have the precision of Patrick Mahomes, I get excited about that. I, I, I get excited about Ndamukong Sue and his strength, right? Ndamukong Sue was a dominant force all over college football. I get excited about Michael Crabtree and his catch radius. There are some huge games that Michael Crabtree had when he played. Barry Sanders, Oklahoma State, and his ankle-breaking ability. I get excited about that. And so those are some of the things that I look at when I say who's going to be the ultimate Big 12 player. Even going to a guy like Vince Young and his Valor. Remember the Rose Bowl National Championship. Vince Young making people look silly all season long. And so these are just a few of the players over the last decade or so, obviously including Barry Sanders, who have been dominant in the Big 12. But I'm excited not just about them, but I'm also excited about who's going to be the next, whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Vince Young, 
who's going to be the future of the Big 12. You're talking about some of the all-time great <laughs> college football players, and now we got to try to who's the next of those people. Look, I love your attributes. You picked on some, or you picked out some of the great players we've seen in the history of this league. But man, living up to some of those expectations yeah. you just put out there, it's gonna be tough sled, my friend. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of those yeah. names. I went back and I watched some film. Go, yeah, go ahead, Wendy. Well, go I, ahead, Wendy. I, I mean, that's that's one hell of a player. I mean, I, I agree with you. You get all that, it ought, <laughs> it ought to work out pretty well. But I mean, you know, that's saying something. All right. So that's obviously individual attributes. But since you took us there, Sam, and you talked about Mahomes and you talked about Indomitian Sue, look, this is a conference that's produced some star players that will continue to do that. Uh, let's talk about the future. They're out there. We don't think so, but they always are. Who's our next Patrick Mahomes? Well, goodness gracious. I mean, we're talking about maybe the best quarterback in the National Football League. And we haven't seen much of him, but I'm going to go Quinn Ewers. Look, wow. and I don't know Ooh. from a mobility standpoint, I think he might have enough to keep plays alive, but I just know that's a very, very live arm. So, again, I'm, say, I'm basing this off of very little of spring football that I've seen, but more so off of people that I've talked to that have been around that program. Because the one thing I think about Patrick Mahomes, though he can ad-lib and keep a play alive, He's got a big-time arm, and he's extremely accurate with the football. And I think Quinn Ewers is going to have some of those traits. Yeah, and I get excited about a guy like Dylan Gabriel. Statistically, obviously, he's put up huge numbers. He broke all the Hawaii high school college, or excuse me, high school passing records. But now he's back with this old offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy. And Jeff Levy, who came from Ole Miss and came from UCF before that, the last four years has had a top four passing offense, total offense, in college football. Dylan Gabriel was breaking records with Jeff Levy back in 2019. I think he's going to do it again. Now that we're seeing him back at OU, connected with Jeff Levy in 2022. All right, and keep in mind, we know what we're saying here. These guys got a long way to go. Nobody's putting them in Canton just yet, yes. as they say. But you know, they, you have to start somewhere. So work with me, Dusty. How about Barry Sanders? Who's out there? So Barry Sanders, Barry Sanders, Wendy, I think he's the best running back that's ever played. but. There is a guy that I talked to yesterday that said that his favorite player and a guy he tried to emulate was Deuce Vaughn. Now, I think B. Go. John Robinson is the best running back in the Big 12, maybe in all of college football, but stylistically, I think Deuce Vaughn kind of fits that Barry Sanders smaller, change of direction, short area quickness, make you miss in a phone booth. Deuce Vaughn, uh, first team All-American last year. I don't see his production slipping at all this year, so... If you're forcing me to find the next Barry Sanders, I'm going with 22 at Kansas State. Yeah, and I really like Deuce Vaughn. Obviously, we're looking at his highlights. This dude is outstanding. He's on the trajectory to put up numbers similar to Darren Sproles put up at Kansas State. But I actually go with the name you said first in Bijan Robinson. And I understand he's a bigger back and he can run people over. But when it comes to missed tackles, Bijan Robinson actually led the power five in missed tackles for us. And so for me, obviously, he's a Heisman candidate. Uh, he's a top running back, top player in next year's draft. But I get excited about, about B. John Robinson for the opportunity to be the next great college football running back coming out of the Big 12. You know what, guys? You humored me. I appreciate it. You did a pretty good job there. And, again, uh, those are some big, big shoes. But, again, it happens. And uh, the future of college football is bright. Uh, still to come on College Football Live, we will walk through the schedules. We're going to talk about win totals for some of these schools. Time for a little Big 12 over-under. We did this yesterday, and sometimes – the answers surprise you. And it seems like offensive guys get all the love, but Dusty will balance the scale. He's got his defensive dudes, the who's who of Big 12 defenses coming up.
programming note, top-ranked boxing Friday night highlighted by our junior welterweight main event. These two are undefeated. Winner has a solid shot for the title. Coverage begins at 9 Eastern, ESPN and ESPN Deportes. The ESPN Plus coverage beginning at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. We continue our coverage of Big 12 Media Day. They kicked off yesterday, continue today in Arlington, Texas. Of course, Texas and Oklahoma on the docket in day two. Here's Sam, who had a little fun with the Longhorn running backs. Talk about the versatility. I would say, who's more versatile as a football player out of the two of y'all? I think playing quarterback, you can't beat. Yeah. Like It's like, in my opinion, it's the hardest position in, in football to play. Right. I agree. Yeah, so from personally playing it, that's kind of hard to beat, but I mean, you can put him in a lot of different places. So, so Bijan, can you play quarterback? What is it? What does throwing look like for you? <laughs> I can't throw, man. I can't play. I, I can't play quarterback. I, I just know I can't play quarterback. Uh, my arm is very shaky uh, <laughs> in moments like that. So, and, and I, I can play. I can play. You know, receiver. Put me at tight end. Put me at safety. Can you play other? Can you play other sports? Basketball, soccer, golf. I, you know, basketball is an iffy sport for me. You know, I can't. Oh, this is not going good for you. I mean, if I didn't know better, I think Sam is enjoying this, guys. I don't know. That smile says it all. Uh, we're going to do a little win total, so brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. It's over, under, and, of course, obviously coming out of that, we have to start with Texas. Uh, so our number here uh, for Texas with the win is – what's our number? What's our over, under? Nine – we're going big. Nine wins for Texas. Guys, over, under. I'll start. I'm going to say I'm going to say that they're going to go uh, nine is kind of where I have them pegged. So I think that they're closer uh, to a 10 win team than I think they are a nine win team. So I'll say over, but I think nine is the number. They're not going to be able to beat Alabama. Alabama is going to be an L. But as we work our way through the schedule, you know, key games are going to be at Oklahoma State, at Kansas State in consecutive weeks. They do have that bye there, you know, before they have to go to Manhattan, Kansas. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go over and in order to get there, they're only going to be able to have one loss. I think that they will lose one of those games, Oklahoma State uh, or, or Kansas State. Yeah, I think it's I think it's under. I think it's right at eight. I, eight, nine, or ten keeps them obviously in the conference race, and and it's, that's a conversation for the entire season. But Alabama, right out of the gate in week two, a trip out to Lubbock is always, always. If you remember the Southwest Conference, and Texas has been there, and they've been in the Big Twelve with Texas Tech, they know how tough it is to go to Lubbock and win out there. So that those are two get two losses right out of the gate. Anything can happen. We'll see. How about Iowa State, Andre, at six and a half, over under? I'm going over. I believe in Matt Campbell. I believe in a bounce back. He's got players. He's got a quarterback that's that Hunter Decker that is that can push the ball and, and make throws all over the field. Uh, <clears throat> they've got a favorable schedule where it sets up uh, nicely for them. But I, I think Iowa State, I'm going over six. Yeah, certainly. I'm with you. I'm going over six and a half as well. They're going to beat Iowa this year. Matt Campbell is not beating Iowa, so they're going to get that victory. Uh, and I think that, you know, they've, had, they've done a very good job at home beating teams they should in that Kansas State game. I see that as a win as well. I see them as a seven, eight win team this coming season. All right, guys, uh, Dusty, I'll start with you. I'm interested in this one because this is a big number. Oklahoma, nine and a half over under. Man, that, is a, that is a big number, Wendy. I, I will lean 
toward the over, but quite frankly, I don't like it. I think Oklahoma is probably in that nine win total as well. But I'll, I'll give them I'll give them ten wins. I think they're closer to a ten win team than I think they are um, uh, an eight win team. So I'm going to go over that number. Not going to be easy. Big game against Nebraska early. I think they go to Lincoln. It's going to be hard fought, but they're going to find a way to get a victory. I see them seven and two within the conference. I think that Iowa State game is one that jumps out to me. It could be problematic. Uh, and then obviously Texas is going to be very tough too. But I, I got them uh, ten and two this upcoming year. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go just under under that number because I think it's gonna be tough. They they will win some close games this year uh, because of the discipline on defense, the great minds and. Coach Venables, as well as Ted Roof, uh, coaching that defense up, and I think they'll be better in the trenches. But it, it's a it's a tough, tough schedule. You mentioned the trip to Lincoln, uh, and then the conference grind as well. They will win some games that they gave up last year, but I, I still I'm going to go under that number. All right, Andre, we'll stay right there. The reigning conference champion will go Baylor. Again, brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. The over under is eight. Ooh, I, I like over uh, when they've reloaded well. They've got players back on both sides of the football. If they can, if they can address the running back situation where they lost some, some tremendous production. Ebner's out. Smith is gone after rushing for 1,600 yards last year. If they can find a way to run the football, Baylor's going to be tough. Defensively, along the defensive front, they are solid. Uh, along the defensive line, they've got playmakers at linebacker. But uh, it, it all boils down to me. They've got a good quarterback. Uh, he is experienced and has won some big games. But it all will boil down to can Baylor run the football. Yeah, Blake Shapin, uh, I think he's going to, you know, really have a nice season upcoming. At BYU, such a key game. And I think that's a loss on the schedule. Eight's the number I have them at. It happens in eight and four teams. So Vegas is setting a good number. You know, based off that schedule right there, I guess I'll lean over. I like the trenches. Four offensive linemen back, two deep on the defensive line. But I think eight's the number. Could be a push if you're picking it at eight. Even if it's just out there, it just makes you ready for football. Like, oh, this is happening. These are the games. Yes, this is no question. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, Dusty, listen, we give, I don't want to say we give too much love. You probably say we give too much love to the offensive side of the ball, but we're going to try to balance things out a little bit. And let's talk defense or defensive dudes, uh, guys we just need to know about in the Big 12. Thank you, Wendy. We got to give the defensive guys some love, so let's do it. Let's start in Manhattan, Kansas, with the preseason Big 12 defensive player of the year, Felix and Yudike Uzama. This guy can play the run, can play the pass. 11 sacks a season ago, constant disruption. I love what he brings to the table. I think he's only going to take his game to that next level. So big time year and a potential first round pick. And, and Felix coming up. Now, you got to have big dudes in the middle if you want to be able to dominate the line of scrimmage. There's not a bigger man on the defensive line anywhere in the Big 12 than Apuica there at Baylor. I thought he was the, the pivotal piece of Baylor's defense last year, getting that transfer from LSU. He sets the tone right there in the middle, and it's why they became one of the better run-stopping defenses in all the Big 12. That's not changing this year. You can't move that mountain in the middle. He's got a long football career ahead of him. And then we got to give the little guys some love. And I talked to this guy today, Travius Hodges 
Tomlinson, and he's not going to wow you a size. He's only 5'9", but a 41-inch vertical. And in this new system from Joseph Gillespie coming from Tulsa, they're going to match him with the best receiver game in and game out. One of the premier shutdown corners in all of college football. I think he's primed and ready for a big-time season. Yeah, he came in as well, and we got a chance to talk to him. You could sense the confidence oh, yeah. uh, you know, in him. And then the 41-inch vertical, I ask him, hey, can you dunk? Sam wants to know if everybody can dunk, how good a basketball player. He says, certainly. With 41-inch vertical, no doubt about it. Guys, thank you. Unfortunately, we do have some sad news, a tragedy uh, to report today in college football. Oregon tight end Spencer Webb uh, passed away Wednesday afternoon to cause a cliff diving accident. He was 22 years old. Webb was heading into his fifth season with the Ducks. His head coach, Dan Lanning, tweeting, so full of life and every moment of the day, your smile and energy will be missed, Spencer. I love you. And clearly our thoughts and our prayers are not only with Webb's family today, but the entire Oregon football community. Featured events this weekend and into next week, Saturday, our next UFC fight night. Home Run Derby is Monday. That's from Dodger Stadium on ESPN and ESPN2. And then the captain premieres right after the Derby on ESPN. And then what do you know, the 30th annual ESPYs next Wednesday on ABC. How many hats can Steph Curry wear? He'll wear another when he steps in and hosts the 2022 ESPYs. All right, fellas, the Big 12 might have wrapped up their media days, but we're just getting started. The SEC kicks off through the week. They run through Thursday next week, so Monday through Thursday. LSU, Ole Miss, and Missouri highlight Monday's slate. And then the ACC, not to be outdone, they will join the party. Uh, two media days for the ACC, that coming to you on Wednesday and Thursday. And then the Big Ten. They head to Indianapolis. It's the site of their annual championship game for their media days the following Tuesday and Wednesday. That's July 26th and 27th. So we've got quite a few weeks of the talking season, if you will. Not to be forgotten, we'll wrap up the Power 5 media days with the Pac-12 Friday, July 29th from Los Angeles. And we will have you covered, as always, here on College Football Live. Fellas, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't. I don't like to stir the pot just to stir the pot, but I got to tell you, there is a little bit something to look forward to about the SEC. I, we're not talking about the Queen of England, so I doubt they have high tea, but you got Jimbo and Coach Saban. Are they going to sit down? What, what do you expect from those two uh, when they step up uh, at media day? I think they're going to be cordial with one another, Wendy. Like, I mean, that's I, no I fun, Dusty. Greg Sankey, he already. He, he, laid, he laid the parameters, though. Like, he already issued and told, told those guys, it's kind of like the parent, sending the two children into the corner. And I hate calling Coach Saban and Coach Fisher children, but that's what it feels like when Greg Sankey, you know, basically told them enough is enough. I think they'll abide by the rules. Maybe a subtle jab here or there, but I think they're going to play nice. I see a couple side, uh, you know, people like the, the subtweets. I see some subtweets. In the media, I see there's going to be something that's going to be said in an interview or something that's going to be a subtle jab, as you mentioned, directed 
from one coach, probably from Jimbo Fisher, to another coach, Nick Saban. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if they both came out gloved up, oh, yeah. laced oh, up, oh, and you know, just style. to break the ice, you know, of, of what's going on between the two of them. But I look forward to the October 8th game when when uh, yeah. when Alabama and A&M play yeah. each other, and now it filters through through the team, and, yeah. and you feel the energy from the team. I, I can't wait for that. I would imagine the Aggies get a warm reception uh, from the Crimson Tide faithful <laughs> oh, there you think? in Tuscaloosa Listen, that I, weekend. I, I certainly understand <laughs> Sankey's point. I'd probably say the same thing in his position, but, I mean, come on, let him rumble just a little bit. You know, I mean, it gives us something to talk about. Uh, but since we're talking about the SEC and we have a quick preview, we got Monday coming. Uh, guys, and, and Dusty, I'll ask you, uh, what do, you, do you anticipate any changing of the guard at all in that conference? It's tough to see it, Wendy. I think it's Alabama and Georgia from the west and the east. But I'll tell you, a team that I think is on the rise is Tennessee, year yeah. two of Josh Heupel. Yeah. I think that if there is a team that could maybe push Georgia, I look at Tennessee. Hendon Hooker was fantastic last season. And then, though we're kidding around, look, Texas A&M's got a talented roster. If there was a team in the west to somehow unseat Alabama, I think it would be the Aggies. But unfortunately, I'm going to have the same SEC championship game as we saw last year. Tide and dogs are playing for it all in Atlanta. Sam, anybody else? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you disagree with that, really, at this yeah. point. We used to talk about the yeah, Patriots yeah. say until proven otherwise. I mean, until proven otherwise, I think you're yeah. right. It really is. In a lot of ways, even going back to Alabama, people felt like Alabama was had a struggling defense last year. And it was like, is this the team that's really going to win it all? They All of a sudden, they're back where, they're where they usually are. So I get excited about Alabama, specifically, yes, Bryce Young, but specifically Will Anderson, which, we, which we've been talking about for a year now. But people said that if he was in the draft this past year, he would have been the first defensive player taken. So I want to go watch him play. He's showing right. the Heisman, by the way, and talking to a Heisman, yeah. Will Anderson. All right. Wait, listen, we are Florida. just getting hey, started. Media too. days coming your hey, way. Cool. SEC yeah. kicks off on Monday. They'll go all week long, and even if they play nice, we'll have plenty to talk about. We'll see you there. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>